And you're listening to KCOU Columbia. 88.1. Happy Thursday, everyone. And boy, it is a warm one out today, unlike last Thursday where we were freezing. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU.FM. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, and alongside me is my co-host, Ryan Waltzman. Ryan, how are you doing today? Well, I'm not cold, that's for sure, like you just said. It's really <laughs> nice out here in Columbia, Missouri today, so uh, ready for another great show. Yeah, unseasonally warm today, for sure. That's All right, today, Connor Larkin from St. Charles, Missouri, who is an engineering major right here at Mizzou, will join us today via on the call to discuss his predictions and debate recent and upcoming sporting events. Before we get rolling, here's some news on Mizzou. Mizzou soccer overcame a first-half deficit and earned a 1-1 draw in an overtime thriller against LSU on senior night. Missouri was knocking on the door door all second half but they ran into a hot goaltender who had the answers all night by keeping the tigers at one goal missouri will hit the road as they prepare to take on mississippi state and hope to earn their first road victory in the season campaign on saturday night game action starts at 6 30 central time missouri volleyball a- action begins to uh, begin yesterday but as they take on the sec alabama crimson tide for their second match of the season on the road. Game action begins at 8.30 Central Time. Mizzou Tennis heads to Arkansas tomorrow as they compete in the ITA Regionals today or tomorrow through Sunday. The Tigers have not seen much action yet this season after their first match against the University of Central Arkansas was postponed due to a positive COVID-19 test. And Ryan, please tell us about Mizzou football. Heck yeah, Luca. Mizzou football looks to build a win streak as they have had two weeks to prepare to take on Kentucky right here in Columbia. The Tigers hope to ride their LSU momentum into this contest, but Mizzou needs to watch out because this Kentucky team is coming off a big upset win against Tennessee, 34-7. Fun fact, Kentucky's fr- the last time Kentucky beat Tennessee, Ronald Reagan was still president. Man, that's definitely interesting right there in 1980s. All right, we're going to start with the NFL. Don't you worry, we're going to get to our Mizzou football segment at the end of the show. But first things first, we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers finished 16 of 35 for 160 yards without a touchdown and two interceptions before co- coach Matt LaFleur let Tim Boyle finish the game. Rodgers' passing rating of 35.4 was the second lowest in a game he has started and didn't leave because of injury this time. His only worst rating was on December 14th of 2014 at Buffalo, which was a 34.3 rating. He has dropped to 1-3 against the Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium. So, Ryan, are the Green Bay Packers still the, still the team to beat in the NFC? So am I allowed to have my first biased uh... Uh, prediction here I, I think, guess so <laughs> yes I think the Packers are still the team to beat uh but honestly I think the team that has scored the most in the third quarter is the team to beat <laughs> I'm just kidding Luca uh, oh, congrats wow. on the score in the third quarter last week by the way uh Green Bay Packers are definitely the team to beat in the north uh Bears have great defense maybe the best in the NFL but Packers have amazing offense yes they had a hiccup well maybe more of a hiccup against Tom Brady's Buccaneers this team is still better though Packers total offensive yards are 1,983 to the Bears 1,877 Rushing yards, Packers lead in that 697 to 540. I think Packers have better running backs. Montgomery is good, but he is no Aaron Jones. Packers scored more touchdowns than them so far, 19 to 14 on that. Packers have a better quarterback, but it all comes down to what team is going to stay hotter. Packers play a 1-5 Texans team, so they should get the b- back on track, but that Texans-Packers game is going to be a lot closer than people expect. If the bu- but if the Buccaneers game is what the future holds for Packers, then maybe it will be the Bears, Luca. 
Well, let's be serious here. Um, we all know the Packers. They're still a force in the NFC North. That cannot be ignored, even though the 5-1 and one Bears lead the division right now. But are they really a 5-1 team? Let's be serious here. And this is coming from a Bears fan. Um, but no, the Packers are not the team to beat anymore in the NFC. And there's, and there's two teams that are to beat. And it's one of them is Tampa Bay. It's what they're becoming. And we need to be looking at what they're becoming. And also, we need to be looking at Seattle with Russell Wilson leading the troops. DK Metcalf is a sensation. You've got Tyler Lockett, Greg Olson as your tight end who could be effective. And they have a running game with Chris Carson. Now, obviously, that defense is questionable. With Jamal Adams being the unquestionable leader in that defense, you still got KJ Wright. But it's what they do offensively and how they're able to move the chains. I do not see Seattle losing to Tampa Bay like Green Bay did. Because Green Bay, they look dysfunctional on the field. And we got both Tampa Bay and Seattle, and I believe they can beat Green Bay when it matters the most. Now, can Tampa Bay beat Green Bay on the road at Lambeau? Not sure, but what I saw from last game, Green Bay did not look good. They were not in sync. Maybe a bump in the road, like you said, but Tampa Bay isn't a team to underlook. Why do I say that? Because, I don't know, the Packers happen to look eerily similar to last year's NFC Championship game against those 49ers in which they were just destroyed. Their defense was, the defense vaunted them all game long. It made me lose some faith in the Packers, actually, against the Buccaneers because when you get into Aaron Rodgers' face and you disrupt his rhythm, they just seem to collapse all both sides of the ball, as a matter of fact. But once the defense starts to collapse, the offense is rattled, and that is not the case with Seattle or Tampa Bay because we've seen Seattle down on Kirk Cousins on multiple occasions, and there's more than that. And the defense was able to stand up while the Seahawks were able to dominate the field, Russell Wilson making his dominant throws. And then you got Tampa Bay's defense. The last time I checked, they won the line of game, they won the line of scrimmage. They exert pressure on Rodgers, and it made it uncomfortable for him, and it forced him to make some risky throws and, obviously, interceptions. So we cannot be underlooking Tampa Bay in Seattle in this case. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. I th- Those teams that you just said, I think, are the top three in the NFC right now. I think the Packers and the Seahawks and the Buccaneers. Uh, obviously, though, there's a lot of other teams that could be in that running, but we just have to see how the season uh, continues for that. Uh, one thing I just want to mention as a Packers fan, uh, Rob Gronkowski, why, why did you – have to finally learn how to play football in week six against my Packers. He only had no touchdowns in the first five weeks. And against Packers, he has one touchdown, 78 yards. Wasn't that much, but still, it's a touchdown that could have been avoided if we just if he's just started playing football like he was for the first five for the first five weeks, excuse me. But yeah, but it seems like that Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski connection uh, starting to work for them. So uh, maybe uh, some bright future there for uh, Tampa Bay. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, definitely, it'll be a fun ending to the season for sure. And I still think that the Packers are a team to beat, but uh, Seattle and uh, Tampa Bay, you also cannot write them off yet. And another thing about Seattle that most people don't get is Russell Wilson is having an MVP year. He's still, this man has not received a single MVP vote. It is just disgusting to me. And personally, Seattle, Russell Wilson has been unleashed by Pete Carroll. And you see what he does with the football. He's able to do those slant throws. He's able to do the deep ball. Russell Wilson, is a, he is capable of anything, just like Aaron Rodgers is, just like Tom Brady is. But Russell Wilson is a threat to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, like I said, if he cannot escape pressure, he is not as effective. So ending on that note, um, we're going to get to the MLB World Series in which the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays are tied one game apiece. 
And tonight, the game, or I'm sorry, tonight is not game three. Tomorrow is game three. That starts at 7.08. So, Ryan, through these two first games, what do you want to say between the Dodgers and the Rays? What's to say? What's to say? Uh, both teams came to play. You know, I was trying to get that to rhyme, but... Yeah, no, uh, they're both the number one seeds for a reason. As you could see with Blake Snell yesterday, dominant with those nine strikeouts. Uh, in game one, though, uh, it was all Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers just were hitting the ball a lot better than the Rays were. And I was honestly not expecting that big of a win for the Dodgers. You know, they put up a, a decent amount of runs. And in the World Series game, you know, you expect scores to be a lot closer than they were. Like last night, for instance, Rays won 6-4. to four, But Rays were also up in that in that game, and they let the Dodgers come back. But uh, there's definitely no telling in what that uh, what that boy Corey Seager can do. He has seven home mm-hmm. runs already. He's tied with Randy Rosarina, who also has seven home runs already in the uh, in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of cool. The uh, MLB posted on Instagram which player do you think is gonna get have more home runs in the, uh, at the end of the World Series? And honestly, that's a tough question because they're both. They're both really hot hitters, and it really just depends on which one's going to have more momentum. I would like to say Randy Rosarina, but he also had his time in the uh, ALCS, so I feel like Corey Seager might pass him up in it. But I still think this is gonna, this is one heck of a series. I think America's very lucky to have both these teams in. Uh, unfortunately, one city's going to have a, a multiple championship as Tampa Bay Lightning uh, won the Stanley Cup and the uh, Los Angeles uh, Lakers won the NBA championship. So Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I forgot about the uh, Lightning winning it. I, I was like, man, I really don't want the Dodgers to win because then Los Angeles <laughs> has both, like, has the basketball championship and, and then my phone's like, well, they won the Stanley Cup. And I was like, oh, shoot, you're right. So... But, yeah, no, anyways, uh, it really – tomorrow's game, uh, that one's definitely going to be a good one. Set for a 7-0-8 uh, first pitch. It's Walker Buehler versus Charlie Morton, and that game is going to be one for the books. I'm telling you, that'll be a good one. Uh, last night, I think the Dodgers were kind of just – no team goes out there thinking they're going to lose, but they put they put, put up a bullpen game against the Rays' ace, Blake Snell. You can't – if you're facing an ace, you want to have another ace on the mound, you know, because that's just – they put up four runs, but none of those runs – were like that big, and they were they never took the lead in that game. So that that was the thing that really hurt them. And I think um, the Dodgers definitely uh, blew blew a gasket on that one, having a bullpen game against the Rays ace. And the Rays should have easily took game two, which they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a two run game, so it wasn't easy. But uh, I still expect this series to go a decent long length of the time, you know, because who doesn't want to see a game seven? And I just don't want baseball to be over with because oh, I love it so much. But but, yeah, that's besides the point. But, yeah, both of these teams playing really good in the World Series. It's really just going to come down to who's going who's gonna, to uh, cap- capitalize on their chances. Are the Dodgers' bats going to stay hot? That's the reason they're there. They have the best hitting right now in the MLB and the best pitching in the, t- in the Tampa Bay Rays. So which mm. team's going to stay hotter? You know, that's, that's the real question. Um, I, I think the Rays are going to uh, win because pitching, I think, is a lot better right now than hitting. Mm-hmm. But if the Dodgers keep hitting and putting up eight or more runs, then who's not to say the Dodgers are going to win the World Series as well? Well, let me say this. Um, last week, um, I came on this show and I said the Dodgers were finished. Unfortunately, I was wrong. Now, I am not going to come on here and apologize to the Dodgers because they have still yet to prove something. I mean, you should have seen Twitter after Game 1, Clayton Kershaw getting praised like he is the next coming of Kerry Wood or something. Let's be serious here. It was Game 1. It was not Game 7. It was not a game where you had to finish. He was under so much pressure. It was Game 1. It was one time that I saw that Clayton Kershaw looked good. I cannot take that away from him. He looked very good. But Game 2, oof. Uh, Tony Gonsolin looked horrible. He only pitched an inning and a third. I mean, I have never seen 
so bad pitching. I mean, I feel like the Dodgers, when it comes to reliable pitching, they only got uh, Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller, and Clayton Kershaw has the yips in the postseason. And I've talked about this over and over and over again with the Dodgers have at their disposal. Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, Corey Seager. We get all that. But the problem is with the Dodgers, they are so inconsistent. One game they score 15 runs, and the next game they're scoring two. It's the Dodgers' consistency that is worrisome to me. After game one, when they beat those Rays, I really did think they were ready to just close the door on the Rays, but last night was their opportunity to get ahead to nothing. They did not take that chance. They got blown out, like you said, by Blake Snell. Game one, they were jumping on Tyler Glasnow like there was no tomorrow. But I got to give props to Dave Roberts this time around with Clayton Kershaw because he finally realized Clayton Kershaw cannot last past the sixth inning. So props to him for taking him out after six innings because I noticed with Clayton Kershaw after uh, the sixth inning, he starts to fall apart. But also, when we talk about game two with the race, Brandon Lowe showed up. And that's good to hear that because another batter decided to finally show up for the race because the last time I checked, it was just the Randy Rosarina. Thank you. Like I feel like it was just a show of him the entire time. But in my opinion, the Rays have better pitching than the Dodgers. I personally do. The Dodgers have the advantage with the bats. Pitching-wise, they do not. I'm hoping the Rays can win the next game and they can show the Dodgers that they are the underdogs that, yeah, they're the underdogs, but they're better. Yeah, that amazed me, actually, that they were the underdogs. I know that the Dodgers went out, got Mookie Betts, made some big moves in the offseason, but I honestly thought that the, the Rays were, the, were the supposed to win this World Series, but they honestly had the Dodgers winning it, which amazed me, but, I mean, yeah, I, I could see why. Uh, but, yeah, no, back to what you were saying. So, of course, the Rays lose that game one, 8-3. to three. And then I think a lot of people started to write the Rays off. They're, like, saying, oh, the Dodgers are going to win well, this. of course they did. But then there's some people that are saying the Dodgers still are not good in the postseason, so they might choke this still. And then, of course, the Rays come out and they score two in the first inning in, in right. game two. So, But, no, I want to go back to what you were saying about Clayton Kershaw. In his last appearance against the Rays, obviously, uh, you're right, he only pitched six innings pitch, but he had an ERA of 150. He got eight strikeouts. So the real question not is— Not taking it away from him. Yeah, no, the real question is, is Clayton Kershaw back or is because he, no gonna, yeah he's gonna come back and I'm just waiting for him to choke because I know it's gonna happen it has to it was game one what, what does that prove it's not he's not under pressure right true all right so I gotta I gotta say it's just the hype on Clayton Kershaw I have to refer to Clayton Kershaw as James Harden he chokes under pressure when it matters the most. He simply does not look the same. In the regular season, Clayton Kershaw will be known as one of the best pitchers to go down in history. There is no doubt about that. But when you get to the postseason, his ERA balloons to, I think it's four and a half, uh, four and a half, I believe. And in the regular season, it's two and a half. He, he needs to show up, and I believe that most of the damage has been done according to multiple statistics. It's after the sixth inning. Now, is that all Clayton Kershaw's fault? The answer to that is no. That's his manager's fault because they need to realize how to utilize him correctly, and that's what Dave Roberts did in game one. He gave him six innings. He was done. They moved on to the bullpen, and they ended up winning that game. When Clayton Kershaw pitches the game, you do not let him go longer than six innings because this is why he gets a bad rep. However, when has he shown up in a Game 7 like other pitchers have? Because I cannot name a time where he has. Yeah, no, it's uh, Game 3 is definitely going to be a doozy, though, because uh, whoever usually wins that one, I wouldn't say wins the series, but they have 
usually go on and they win game four, you know. But with both of these teams, I think it's just going to go. One's going to win one night. The other team's going to win the other night. I think that's just how it's going to be. Very I don't think. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, unless I could be wrong because, like I said, they raced through up Lake Snow last night. So, you know, they had their ace. And now they have another second ace coming in, Charlie Morton. So there's nothing saying that the race can't go up uh, back to back, on back-to-back wins, go up 2-1. to one, But... Walker Buehler's real deal, man. He's been good for L.A. all year, so it'll be a good game. I'm expecting a close game unless the Dodgers just get hot again and put up 11 runs in the first, but I'll tell you something right now. That's not happening in the World Series against the Rays. It's just not going to happen. Right. All right, everyone. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Once we get back from the break, we're going to start with Baker Mayfield and the Browns, and we will like to welcome our first guest when he comes back on, Connor Larkin. We'll be right back. Circle backboard? Every Thursday morning from 10 to 11 on KCOU 80.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Join me, Garrett Jones, for one of these nights, a solo podcast-style sports talk show covering the weirdest and wackiest of sports history. I take a deep dive into the old and noteworthy of Mizzou and all four major professional sports. Stick around for the second hour to unwind with the best of classic rock from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm on Sunday nights recording live from 8 to 10 p.m. on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM in the Blue Box. It's also on Spotify and Apple Music if you ever miss a show. It's one of these nights, the perfect way to end your weekend. Welcome back, everyone. And we're going to welcome our first guest, Connor Larkin. Just ready to get on mute. Sorry about that, man. Yeah, all good. All right, excellent. All right. So, Connor, how have you been lately? Uh, I'm doing good. All right, excellent. We're going to start with our Cleveland Browns segment. Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield was pressured on 52% of his dropbacks against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the highest mark of his career. Before he was replaced by Case Keenum in the third quarter, Mayfield completed 10 of 18 pass attempts for 119 yards with one touchdown and two interceptions for a passer rating of 54.9. Connor, I'm definitely going to start with you here. Should the Browns give up on Baker Mayfield? I mean, he's looking pretty pitiful. Uh, to be honest, but uh, I mean, I don't know about just yet, but I think, I mean, having Case Keenum there as a backup, uh, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely worth considering starting him over Baker Baker Mayfield. All right, well, it's not just Case Keenum. The Browns need to give up on Baker Mayfield. I gave him, I gave up last year on him, regardless of Freddie Kitchens being the coach. I believe the fans gave up on him, honestly. There's a point in time 
where you need to say enough is enough and we need to move on. Yeah, they won four straight games before getting pounded by Pittsburgh. But were those teams good that they beat? No, they beat the Cowboys, the Washington football team, and the Cincinnati Bengals, all with below below average defenses. But even that winning streak, it had nothing to do with Baker Mayfield. And uh, this is not to you, Connor, but I would love to say this comment to Nick Wiggleman, the person that comes on my show multiple times. Baker Mayfield versus winning teams. Four and 13 in the winning loss column, 24 touchdowns and 29 turnovers. He is not just an average quarterback. He's a below average quarterback. He wasn't even completing 62% of his passes during the four-game winning streak. He was relatively pedestrian with those offensive weapons. You have OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, and then you have Kareem Hunt, and then you got Dearness Johnson in the backfield, but obviously at the moment Nick Chubb is hurt, but Dearness Johnson is still a good addition to this team. Once again, this is this, probably the third time I've said this. We have all seen the endorsements. Progressive. At least eight commercials of not more with Progressive. Then we get to see Hulu, and then finally we get to see State Farm. I only seen one commercial with Patrick Mahomes on State Farm, and Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in football. Everyone is making a big deal of the Browns going to the game against Pittsburgh 4-1, and and I've said it on multiple occasions, and I'm going to say it again. Baker Mayfield has nothing to do with it. They were running the football effectively. They were playing defense effectively with Maya Miles Garrett and those guys. And basically, I'm going to say it again. Kevin Stefanski was saving Baker Mayfield from himself of limiting his throws per game. Ryan, I'm going to give it to you before I get back into the Steelers. Yeah, uh, my take. Uh, Brown should give up on Baker Mayfield. Uh, now, people are saying, oh, he played bad against the Steelers because his ribs hurt. Or, oh, he was sore and wasn't his best. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He looked like straight trash against the Steelers. He dances around too much in the pocket, then wonders why his ribs are hurting. It's like Stephen A. Smith said, they aren't winning in Cleveland because of Mayfield. They're winning in spite of him. They, yep. have, <laughs> they have guys like Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry already complaining about the team, and they're 4-2. And, and for Cleveland, that's not a bad record. Baker still has yet to show his team he is a franchise quarterback and the clock is ticking and if he plays and does good against the Bengals whoop-de-doo it's the Bengals my hot take get my get Mayfield off the field oh also Browns have the easiest schedule remaining in the NFL so if they don't make the playoffs I think that says it all right there and the fact that he thinks he's the franchise quarterback he gave up a combined 76 points against the bank against the Ravens and the Steelers and those are the two teams you have to beat in your division well well Baker Mayfield doesn't play defense so I can't he he doesn't uh play he doesn't really categorize in that category but we all know this. The more he threw, the more ineffective he was. I knew Baker Mayfield going into this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was going to have to throw more because of Pittsburgh's rushing attack. I believe it's the second best in the league. You can check that. And sure enough, what happens? I think it was the third play of the game. He threw a pick six right into Minka Fitzpatrick's hand. I think he was like he was like fixated on this tight end. In Baker Mayfield, there was no pressure under him. I mean, who knows? Who knows, Ryan? He could have had like a snack or something while he was ready to throw the football, <laughs> maybe even to send a text or two. But he wasn't even getting pressure. He forces a play that didn't even have to happen. And then when he was getting pressure, it was like Nick Foles on, uh, I think it was on Sunday. Yeah, it was on Sunday when he just lobbed something into double coverage. That's exactly what Baker Mayfield did. And he was targeting Rashawn Higgins on that play. But with the Browns have, they don't only have a quarterback that's just 
ineffective. He draws attention to himself in the, with those advertisements. And then when you got guys going up against him like T.J. Watt or Mika Fitzpatrick, and they're hungry to get at him. I mean, he had the ribs issue and all that, but unfortunately, like, it doesn't just have to do with the ribs in this condition. It has to do with everything he has done in Cleveland. And when Pittsburgh changed their uh, defense on the from the pre-snap to the post-snap, Baker Mayfield looked like a deer in headlights. Okay, he looked lost. He looked panicky. It's a disaster. Yeah, no, I don't know about you guys, but I really thought he was colorblind that game against the Steelers because his, uh, his players were wearing white, not black. <laughs> Connor, what do you think of any of this? Um, I mean, I don't know. He's, yeah, there's definitely, yeah. I mean, for a Browns quarterback, he's franchise quarterback, I would say, because well, he's, yeah. probably the lo- he's probably the longest-lasting quarterback in recent history. <laughs> but uh, I think, really, he's just, he's cashing in. He's trying to get those deals before his time is up because, I mean, playing with the Browns, you know, they'll end. And this is probably one of the best Browns teams, and he's definitely taking it uh, down the drain. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I mean, you're 100% right. When you got offensive weapons and OBJ, probably one of the best wide receivers in the league, you got Jarvis Landry, you got Austin Hooper, your former team, obviously. But we're going to get to that in just a second. But the point of that is when you have weapons at your disposal like Baker Mayfield does, you cannot be performing sub-mediocre. You just can't do it. Odell Beckham Jr. is getting like three catches a game. The last time I checked, he's an elite receiver. You need to be getting the ball in his hands. Now, I don't think it's just Baker Mayfield's part on that. I think it's Kevin Stefanski's. But you need to be getting him involved more in the game. When you're targeting rookies like Rashad Higgins, you need to be finding Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, OBJ. Those are your elite targets. Yes, count on your rookies, but not as much as your elite receivers in that case. But I'm going to ask you a question, Connor. If Baker Mayfield is gone from this organization this offseason, who should replace him? Honestly, I have no idea. Um, I mean... Case Keenum is a fine interim uh, quarterback. I mean, he was in Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, but and he was okay in Denver. But, I mean, I don't really know where you go from there because, I mean, there's no way you get somebody like Trevor Lawrence, uh, especially since he's, you know, he might want to skip the draft because of the Jets tanking. But, yeah, we I mean, <laughs> I don't really know who you want to go with. Like, there's – I don't know who's coming up in the future that could – really replace anybody and if you have to make a comparison it's the it's you notice how the browns it's always somehow the quarterback it's the same thing with the bears except the bears right now i mean yeah they're five and one but are they really are they i mean i'm sorry but to be so negative about the bears but the next three games you got the rams the saints and the titans if the bears can prove to me that they can win two out of the next three I can start having faith in them. All right, leaving on that note, let's go on to Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins rookie quarterback Tua Tungavailola will take over as the Miami Dolphins starter beginning week eight against the L.A. Rams. With the Dolphins currently on their bye week, it will give Tua two weeks to prepare for the transition. Ryan, I'm going to start with you on this one. Did the Dolphins make the right decision naming Tua the starting quarterback? Yeah, Luca, uh, this is a tough one because Tua showed promise in his lonely minutes in the blowout win for the Dolphins. I think it took me as well as Ryan Fitzpatrick as a shock because Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins blew out the Jets. But given it is the Jets, Fitzpatrick has seven interceptions through six weeks and ten touchdowns completed. 
Maybe it's a good call. We know that franchise hasn't been the best in the past years. They're a solid 3-3 three and three for Miami. That's respectful. They have a tough Rams team coming up after their Week 7 bye and look to keep the momentum going and get on a winning streak of three games. And maybe it's the fact that they think Fitzpatrick is getting old and might not play his best against L.A. And maybe it's time for a rookie at the helm and let Fitzmagic sit for a game or two. Sure. Okay, well, listen. The thing with Fitzpatrick is he, he typically he'll do great for a couple games. You'll think, okay, we well, got to start him for the rest of the season, and then he'll tank. So really, I think this is a good idea. I mean, they've obviously planned this. You know, like this this is something they've been planning to do, and they know he's healthy because they wouldn't do it otherwise. Uh, and also, you're facing the Rams with Aaron Donald on defense, and you know, I would trust Tua to get out of a situation more than I would Fitzpatrick just based on speed comparison. Uh, and I think you need. I mean, if you want Tua to be your franchise quarterback in the future, you need to put him through a trial by fire. And Aaron Donald is that perfect fire. Uh, it's really just, I mean, if you want him to compete against other teams, you need to know that he can compete against the Rams, one of the better teams. And uh, Tua is one of those new age quarterbacks. And the quarterbacks that can, uh, that typically do do better against the Rams are those quarterbacks just because, I mean, that's just the way it goes now, you know, Patrick Mahomes and people like him. But uh, but I think it's just it, it was the right decision, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree, Connor. Uh, I do know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is uh, a little, uh, I guess, sketchy in the regular season sometimes. You know, he gets hot. He has these spurts of time, so I definitely agree with what you're saying there. Uh, Tua was a legit quarterback coming out of uh, Alabama, so I do think that that is the right call for them to make. You know, he's more of a rookie, so he's going to get that ball out of the pocket a lot faster. He's going to run the ball well, and like you said, who better than to start him against with the uh, L.A. Rams and Aaron, Aaron Donald going to be on him? So uh, we'll, it'll be fun to see. I know that, like you said, he will be their f- franchise quarterback without a doubt. And, um, you know, one of the questions I just had was if he wins that game against the Rams, does he stay the starter? Maybe not the rest of the season, but does he stay a starter for a couple of more games? Or are they going to give the ball back to Ryan Fitzmagic? Well, from what I've been hearing, they've definitely like considered him starting for the for the next couple games. And they don't have – I mean – they have some decent defenses that they're coming up against, but the Rams will de- definitely be the toughest. But I feel like unless Tua just absolutely tanks, uh, he'll be he'll be starting the next games. Yeah, he has to. I mean, I just feel like it, yeah, it would it would be the best for him to do that. And then it's really cool that he gets to play a whole game, and you know the fans get to see what he can do. He looks really good in those. I think he only had about like two or three minutes against the Jets. You know, they put him in for not even that many minutes, but he looked really good. He even threw the ball and he got on his first on his first pass. It was a completion, so he knows the game really well. And I think Miami has a bright future with this kid. Yeah, uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect too much from him, just considering he's a he's a rookie. Uh, I mean, and I don't think he has the poise of somebody like Joe Burrow, who can stay calm in there. So, I mean, I wouldn't expect too much of him, but I would expect him to uh, skate by, and then next year, if I mean, assuming he he does okay this year, next year definitely expect him to be doing way better. All right. Well, before we head to the break, um, Connor, I just wanted to ask you, um, I want you to inform our audience here, who is your favorite NFL team? Uh, This year, especially, I hate to say it, but I'm a Falcons fan. Okay. So the Falcons, um, 
I know the Falcons because they lost in that Super Bowl against New England. I think they were leading 28-3. to I'm not sure. I think they were. And then week two against the Dallas Cowboys where they should have won the game, but they decided to choke because they're the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I remember the onside kick. The last time I checked, when you kick an onside kick, um, you can jump on the ball before it crosses 10 yards if you kicked it. But uh, what I saw was I saw six Falcons like forming a protective circle around the football, and then they let the Cowboys jump on it and win the game. I think that's what I saw. I just want to make sure that you can confirm that for me. Yeah, including some of their star players like Ricardo Allen. So, All right, that's good to Keanu know. Neal. All yeah. right, that's good. That's good to know. I just want to make sure I'm not going crazy. So, as a Falcons fan that you are, I want to ask you a question. Since you are one in five right now, you have fired both general manager and your coach. Dan Quinn is gone. I mean, long overdue, but good for the owner. Um, where do you go from here? What do you do with Matt Ryan? What do you do with Julio Jones and those guys? What do you do? Well, from what I've heard, um, the owner hasn't really committed to Matt Ryan in the future. So I don't really know where that's going, but I don't think like I like I said with um, the Browns, I don't think you can draft anybody, any quarterback really. Uh, I think Matt Ryan. I mean, Matt Ryan's doing well. He was NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and he's not doing terrible. He's making his interceptions are low, but the times he throws interceptions are really poor timing. Uh, but I think I mean the new coach definitely seems like he's running the defense better. Uh, I feel like there's definitely a better spirit in the team. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you this. If the owner happens to get rid of Matt Ryan this off season, who would you want as your replacement quarterback for maybe next year's draft? I mean, <sighs> Trevor Lawrence, but there's, there's no way that happens. Yeah. That's uh, a long shot, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, I mean, I, the problem with the Falcons is, you always, uh, they always, for the past couple of years, they've done terrible, and then they start to bring it back at the end, and then they get a middle of the pack draft spot. And it's just, it hasn't panned out too well. Now, if you were the Falcons GM, would you be listening to offers from other teams on Matt Ryan and Julio Jones? Okay, I don't know about Julio, but poss- possibly uh, Matt. Uh, I mean, especially a former, if, if Tua does really terrible, a former Alabama, uh, would, uh, quarterback, I think would do really good justice to, um, a Falcons team considering that's where, uh, Julio and Calvin are from, but my bad, Connor. Okay. Connor. Uh, so after answering uh, Lucas' question about the future, my question is just more about the present. Uh, after starting out 0-5 and showing some promise with the Week 6 win against the Vikings, can Raheem Morris get the Falcons a winning season? I think I think it's possible. It's definitely tough. They they have some easy games before the bye, but after that bye, it's they play the Bucks twice, and then they play the Saints twice. It's going to be rough. Uh, there's a small chance. I mean, they could definitely beat the Saints. Uh, Buccaneers are iffy. Uh, yeah. Does your does his eighteen and thirty one record as an NFL coach scare you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's coming from the Buccaneers, so not really the best team to have a coach from. Uh, I don't. I mean, when they named him, I don't really 
they just promoted him from the defensive coach. So, I mean, hopefully it was just Dan Quinn that was ruining the defense. But I think, yeah, his pass definitely scares me. I think you should, like, they should reconsider another coach for the next years, possibly. Uh, you should definitely, though, be excited uh, as a Falcons fan for because he got you. He did give you that uh, win coming out of uh, getting rid of Dan Quinn, and then you guys have the Lions up this weekend, so it shouldn't be that game shouldn't be too hard, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, it's I'm I'm definitely I feel like the he has a little more respect or something. I don't know. the The players just seem to like him a bit more, or at least he's calling the right plays, and. Like I said, like you just said, the the games that they're playing are pretty easy. Uh, Kirk Cousins definitely helped us this past week, but I still think they could have won without it. Well, let's not get over cocky here. Um, anyway, um, Connor, you're going to be right back with us after the break. And after the break, we're going to talk about them Cowboys, and then we're going to talk about Mizzou football. We'll be right back. KCOU. The Blue Note. Rose Music Hall. In cahoots, watch out, Columbia. After 15 seasons, legendary Missouri head coach Gary Pinkle is calling it a career. The most important thing uh, is my players. That's what I'm going to probably, I'm going to miss the most. And after an emotional win at BYU in Kansas City. Damon Moore makes the catch. What a touchdown. Gary Pinkle is preparing to lead the Tigers for the final time at Faro Field. Versus the Tennessee Volunteers on KCOU. A rocking atmosphere here. As always, our coverage begins with Tiger pregame live starting at 5.15 p.m. Then kickoff of Tigers Vols at 6.15. And the Tiger postgame report presented by El Rancho after the game. They're going to go for the end zone. Picked off by the Mizzou Tigers. Hear it all on your home for Missouri Tiger football. I was told recruits that they're Tiger for life when they come to Mizzou. KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Welcome back, everyone. First things first, we're going to talk about them Cowboys. All right. AT&T Stadium is 41 miles away from Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray's hometown of Allen, Texas. He went 5-0 and in high school there, including three straight state championships in Texas. Highest level of prep fo- football, 1-0 in college, and leading Oklahoma to a Big 12 championship. And he is 1-0 so far in the NFL in Texas. Okay, Connor, should the Cowboys panic about losing the NFC East? Definitely. A hundred percent. They have Andy Dalton now. This is just, it's, I mean, watching him against Arizona Monday, it was, I mean, Kyler Murray didn't do so hot, but Andy Dalton and along with Zeke, they just, they can't keep it together. Zeke hasn't been performing this year and because Dak Prescott's been throwing for 400 plus yards a game. And that's because they're behind most of the time. Uh, they're they're going to lose it, sadly. Uh, or not sadly, but they're going to lose it to the Eagles, which, I don't know. It's just, that's just a terrible division. All right, speaking of bad division, um, Connor, how many wins has the NFC East won? Let me ask you that question. Isn't it like five? Five, yeah, five. Guess how many, ba- I guess how many wins the Chicago Bears have? Five. What's to panic about? 
This is the worst division in the NFL I think it's ever seen in its history. Now the Cowboys, they could be they were definitely still happy after they woke up on Tuesday morning after they got demolished by the Arizona Cardinals with a 2 and 4 record. Dak Prescott can smile because he just made even more money with Andy uh, Andy Dalton's performance. That was horrendous. This division is so embarrassing. Eye gouging. Call it what you will. We got the New York Giants whose fans are encouraging them to sink in their oh I love my I love their slogan, I'm not gonna lie. Suffer for Trevor. I I, I love that slogan, I'm not gonna lie. For the Washington football team, it only took Ron Revere to maybe send three text messages to basically bench Dwayne Haskins. And then we get the Eagles and Carson Wentz, who is basically a turnover machine. In the next game, someone else is injured, and you got someone from the practice squad coming up. And then there's the Cowboys. Like, each team is so bad, it's so hard to figure out which team is the worst because this division basically is playing to see who is the worst. Now, getting back to the Cardinals and the uh, Cowboys game, Kyler Murray completed nine passes. Which is out of 24, which is a 38% completion rate, and won the game. And Andy Dalton threw the ball 54 times and couldn't even surpass 300 yards. I can't even make this stuff up anymore because it's already a reality. Ezekiel Elliott, I think he's playing with butter on his hands. Tell him to get rid of the Lando Lakes during the game because we got to make sure that he can hold the football. Then you got Michael Gallup, who also has butter fingers. He must be like that candy bar or something. I don't know. He's dropping pass after pass, touchdown passes. Let me remind you, these aren't just passes. The defense is still Swiss cheese. The offensive line is tissue paper. You got Mike McCarthy looking like a deer in headlights calling plays at times. You got the defensive coordinator who hasn't been a defensive coordinator in the NFL since he got fired from, oh, the Atlanta Falcons in 2014 when they had the second-to-worst defense in the league. Take it away. Yeah, it's uh, they just, I mean, they don't need to worry necessarily about losing it because they can always come back. I mean, you know, there's not much competition in their division, but I don't think you want to finish the way they're playing right now. You you need to turn it around, but I I think that's highly unlikely. Well, if you want to turn around, you got to fire Mike McCarthy, and it's not just Mike McCarthy here that's the issue. Jerry Jones is the issue. You paid Ezekiel Elliott all this money, and you never paid Dak Prescott. And look what he's at now. He's injured. He's finished. Andy Dalton looking like a mediocre quarterback, which he is out of Cincinnati. And the last time I checked, the Cowboys have some uh, elite receivers there. You got Amari Cooper. You got Schultz, uh, Cedric Wilson. But the point is here, I would love to give everyone this fact about the Cowboys because when I read this the other day, it made me smile. They are on pace through the first six games. If they keep this up, giving up 38 points a game. The Dallas Cowboys will go down as the worst defense in the history of the NFL. If it wasn't enough for me to make fun of them every single year they lose, this is only adding to the book for me to make fun of them. Even though Dak Prescott's gone, the defense has nothing to do with Dak Prescott. It has to do everything with Mike Nolan and what he's doing because they got playmakers in that defense. They just ain't showing up. There's nothing on that defense. That defense, I mean, the Falcons burned him, and the only thing that saved him 
was uh, Dak Prescott coming back, and then Greg Zerline's uh, onside kick, and then just Falcons being uh, empty-headed. So really, there's they shouldn't have won that game, and they shouldn't have won the ones they did. It's pitiful. It is a pitiful. It's a tragedy to even watch this. This division, in my opinion, if it was up to me, if it wasn't up to NFL regulations, none of these teams in the NFC East would be even going to the playoffs. I think the best the Cowboys can finish with is 6-10. and 10. And I still have them winning the division because the Eagles have injury after injury each week. Carson Wentz trying to turn the ball over in different occasions. I mean, he could be at the 20-yard line after th- completing six great passes, and then all of a sudden there's an interception. So you tell me, who's winning the NFC East? I think it's possible for the Eagles. I would be way more happier if the if Dallas took second in their division. Well, we would, uh, we would all be happy. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's possible for the Eagles because they're right there with them. Uh, they're just down by because they had tied. But I think they, Dallas is looking like they'll win it, but I think it's definitely up for contention. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I have the Cowboys at 6-10. and 10. If you have the Eagles winning it, what's their record that they're going to finish with? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it'll be around there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a tragedy to even watch this. But um, I'm not even going to lie. As I look at these standings right now, if the Giants happen to win and the Cowboys happen to lose, the New York Giants will take first place in the NFC East with a 2-5 and five record. The New York Giants, everyone. Danny Dimes suffering for Trevor. It's it's terrible. All right, but anyway, getting on a more positive note, uh, we're going to talk about Mizzou football. Ryan, start us off here, please. Who? What do you expect this weekend from Kentucky and Mizzou themselves? Well, I'm of course, I'm excited because it's finally Mizzou football weekend back here in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, after COVID-19 pushed around the SEC schedules a little bit, Kentucky now plays Mizzou this weekend instead of October 31st on Halloween. Instead, we'll go to Florida. Hopefully, they're still having some uh, COVID problems down there, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, no, talk about the game. Uh, the Tigers haven't beaten the Wildcats since 2014. Uh, the point spread is Kentucky minus six and an over and under of 50 points. Of course, Kentucky coming off a big 34-7 upset win against the Tennessee Volunteers as they knocked the Volunteers out of the uh, top 25, which was I thought was kind of surprising. There was also Auburn also got knocked out of the top 25 as well. Uh, should be a good game. Like I said, Mizzou coming off of a huge win against uh, LSU. So both teams coming off really, really big uh, upsets. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if my bias is coming back into play, but there's something about Aliyah Drinkwitz that I really like. The fact that we just stunned LSU, the fact that we haven't beat the Wildcats since 2014. But I think this year, man, I, I think I think we're going to do it. I think Aliyah Drinkwitz, uh, Lily Roundtree, Connor Basilak, I think everyone's going to get on the right page. I think we're going to beat the Kentucky Wildcats this year, man. First time since 2014, I think it's going to be done. I mean, you were better than uh, Harrison doing the uh, predictions for the LSU game, as I think he said 45 to 10, and you said something around the area 30s or something, a more closer game than Harrison did. Um, obviously, he was wrong. But, Connor, I'm going to have you uh, give your predictions, and I'll give mine. Uh, I think, I mean, this is definitely one of the better Mizzou offenses since 2014, so I definitely think there's potential. Uh, yeah, the defense looked good last week. Uh, especially against LSU in that stop last minute. Uh, 
I think uh, hmm. Mizzou could win, I think. Uh, somewhere, you know, around the 30s, yeah. Okay. So, Kentucky started the season 0-2. They're 2-2 and right now. So, they're on a winning streak. They're on a roll. So, they're obviously coming to this game on a, on, a, on a heat streak. We get that. But just like last year, the Wildcats have the number one rushing offense in the SEC. It's about 206 yards a game. And that has a lot to do with the stability they have at running back. And that's A.J. Rose, Chris Rodriguez, and their quarterback in Terry Wilson. He's also a great runner. He's like He looks like Lamar Jackson in a way when he runs with the football. But he's a better passer than Lamar Jackson because he definitely has the capabilities of doing so. But it also has to do with the fact that the Wildcats don't have any big-time playmakers at wide receivers. So they have to use their running to their advantage. And when you talk about passing for the Wildcats, the uh, the Tigers shouldn't have to worry too much when it comes to the, uh, the pass defense. They're only averaging for Kentucky about 142, points, uh, 142 yards a game in the passing game. But we know Mizzou already has a solid run defense, which allows about 130 yards a contest. So the Tigers are actually already equipped to stop these Kentucky running backs. And if they do so, uh, especially linebackers, you got to talk about Nick Bolton and uh, David, uh, Devin Nicholson because they're those, those tackling machines. So when you talk about that and you could, t- and you could stop um, the Kentucky's uh, running game, you can definitely do lots of stuff here. But I got to say, I'm going to give it back to Ryan, but um, you need to let Connor Basilak be Connor Basilak this upcoming game. Yeah, no, for sure. He's... He needs to run the ball more this game. Uh, you know, I think, though, that Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty are really going to have big games for him uh, against the Wildcats. It's definitely going to be uh, a cat fight. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, That's you know, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be a fun one. But, yeah, I, I think Mizzou's uh, going to be able to put up uh, another 30-point game, and they just need to be able to, be able to uh, you know, stop the Kentucky, like you said, uh, the running of Kentucky. But if they can stop LSU on four straight downs, they should have no problem stopping Kentucky. We just really hope that they get down to the one-yard line so we can stop them, you know, because we can't stop them unless they're at the one-yard line. Well, exactly. That, ironically, right? I mean, when it mattered the most, they actually came up. So I'm proud of them in that regard. But when we talk about Connor Bazalak, I mean, against Kentucky, you cannot just do the nickel and dime defense. Or, I'm sorry, you can't just do the... Uh, just the simple passes. You can't do it. What you have to do is you have to allow Connor Baslock unleash him and let him do some down uh, downfield shots. Kentucky's not that good in zone coverage. So I feel like if you basically make them feel vulnerable, you're going to expose them in a way. It's okay to hit some home runs in this game a little bit. I mean, you talk about the, the offense that uh, Mizzou uh, possesses in Deontay Smith, Jalen Knox. You got those guys. And I feel like Drinkwitz is actually able to do it this weekend with his play calling on Saturday because Kentucky does not play a lot of zone. They play a lot of man. And he could be more creative with his calls. And you just look at the flea flicker that he did from the LSU game. Now, that may not work against Kentucky, but I feel like Drinkwitz, he has some more tricks up his sleeve, and he can definitely be more creative this game. Oh, yeah. I definitely think you need to unleash Connor Basilak. Uh, he just let him let him loose. Uh, you need to get creative, especially against the Kentucky defense. Uh, yeah, push them into zone. Uh, see what you can do. I mean, you just beat LSU. You need to you need to see where your limits are. Uh, I know we've lost, but in the past, but Kentucky's the time to try it. And and this past game with LSU, you started with uh, Basilak and you stuck with him. And 
So I think they just need to do that again, and they'll be fine. It'll be close. Kentucky definitely has a good chance of winning, but Mizzou can pull it off. Yeah, I, I really hope Mizzou pulls it off. You know, I'm not liking these NCAA reporters all saying that the Wildcats are going to beat us. They're all saying it's going to be a close game. They're only going to beat us by six points. But I still think that, like you said, I think it's going to be a close game. The only thing that really does scare me, and I wouldn't be too scared if it wasn't Kentucky beating Tennessee, but the fact that they beat them that bad. Like, they just destroyed Tennessee. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, I know we just beat LSU, but if you think about it, LSU is not – that good this year like you know if there was that if that was Joe Burrow instead of Brennan on the field two weeks ago we would have lost for sure but yeah LSU is not as good as they would be if they had Joe Burrow still uh Tennessee though they're a decent little team and the Kentucky just destroyed them like there was just like I don't know if you were listening in but like last time the Kentucky beat Tennessee Ron Reagan was still president so you know Kentucky definitely is going to want to go on that two-game winning streak I know Mizzou wants to and I think that it would be a perfect start to go two and to go up uh, two games and have a lot, a lot of drinkwits at the helm and beat beat uh, the Wildcats for the first time since 2014. It's ironic how the last time they beat Kentucky, Reaganomics was probably the most common thing in economics. <laughs> um, but when we get to the when we get to the very end of this game, like you said, Ryan, how Kentucky just demolished Tennessee. Tennessee, they looked lost in so many occasions in that game. I think they, what did they score, seven points that game, correct, seven? 34-7, yeah. 34-7, okay, so they scored seven points. And that just tells me one thing and one thing only, or two things, two things. You have Tennessee's defense, or offense rather, that was compromised by the Kentucky defense, and then you have the Tennessee defense who was just blown up by the Kentucky offense. And it had to do with the rushing attack because I saw those stats, and they were off. They were not exactly uh, pretty and, and to see in someone's eyes. But what I would say in this game, because Kentucky is on a streak here, I feel like Kentucky has a slight edge over Mizzou. I'm not saying this is going to be a blowout game. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Kentucky will beat us by three points. That's it. I think Connor Baslock's going to continue his dominance. I think they're going to ride that momentum from the LSU game, even though they were off last weekend because of a postponed game against Vanderbilt. I feel like they're going to ride that momentum into this game. They will show up. But I feel like the defense, there's still too many question marks. I feel like Kentucky's going to be able to make them feel vulnerable and expose them. Luca, I like the honesty, but I, can you just expand on the three points? Because I, I don't know if that's us losing on a game-winning field goal. Because if that's what you're going at, come on, man. No, it's not. No, no, no. It's not a three. It's not a winning field goal. No, okay. not, not, right. not in this context. No. I just feel like what's going to happen is that Mizzou is actually going to have the ball at the very end of the game, and they're just going to have one bad drive, and they're just going to happen to lose in that scenario. But like I said, if Drinkwitz can create something, and if that defense can stop Kentucky's rushing attack, it's going to be tough for Wilson to put up numbers because the stats are not there this year. They haven't really even passed that much. So if if, uh, Kentucky's running game is compromised, Mizzou has a pretty good chance of winning. I just feel like the defense still has more questions to be answered. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a great game. One thing that I don't know if you would really want to see this in a game. I know last time we played LSU, it wasn't the best to see, but I kind of want to see it again. Grant McGinnis, he took a fake, and he, you know, it was a complete, it was an incompletion. Right. But that was the first time he did that since he was since eighth grade. So, like, I kind of, like, want to see it again. And uh, I was reading, and it said a lot of drinkers, when he asked him, he would, no hesitation, he was down to do it and everything. Like, the first, last time he did that, eighth grade, man, that's crazy. That is a little crazy. Um, but um, it's just, I feel like 
it would feel awesome. Now, it's not just awesome to, like, win a game against one of a good— it's not just good to feel like you beat a really good team in, like, Kentucky. But to just snap that streak that dates to the 1980s, when Ronald, like you said, when Ronald Reagan was president, we're talking about spending here. Um, we're talking about my parents being like teenagers. <laughs> like, let's be serious here. We weren't even a thought. Technology wasn't really even invented. Um, it's just, it would be nice to see that. Um, obviously, we're all cheering on our Tigers. We're biased. We get it. Mm-hmm. But you just got to be able to see something. Because I feel like in my in my eyes, when I saw Sean Robinson that first game and he was going to start the second game, I didn't have much hope in the Tigers at that point. But now that you see what Connor Basilak has at his disposal, what he possesses in types of weapons and what he can do on the field, he's not one-dimensional, he's two-dimensional, and sometimes even three-dimensional. So when you talk about that, you can have more confidence when you're a Mizzou Tiger fan going this game because it's going to be a good one. Yeah, uh, it will be a good one. Uh, Connor, any last remarks, man? Uh, yeah, I think this will definitely come down to Mizzou's defense. Uh, I don't really doubt Mizzou's offense at all. I I think Basilak will, I mean, he'll have one of his better showings, but it'll come down to the run defense especially. Uh, and maybe Kentucky gets creative with their throws and stuff and throws us off, but uh, it'll definitely come down to the defense. This will be lost or won with defense. Oh, I'm sorry, Con. Did you give us a prediction for the game or? Oh, no, I didn't. Uh I think it'll probably be, uh, it'll probably be, I want to say nine point spread. It's pretty good. Yeah, That's six good. point spread is what the NFL, uh, NACA analysis is saying. You got nine point spread. Lucas says three point spread. I'm going fourteen point spread, baby. Fourteen. Wow. I think we're going to beat them by two touchdowns. Wow. Um, I gotta say that is definitely a little, <laughs> it's a little ex- uh, extreme there. But um, I, I like the confidence. You were not, you were not that wrong about the LSU game. I mean, I was shocked when I was watching that game. I'm like, is that really Mizzou with all those points? And they're at the one yard line. They stopped them. So yeah, I gotta admit, Ryan actually probably made probably the best prediction I've heard of anyone made against LSU. So props to him. Um, but otherwise, uh, Connor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Right, I'm going to have you close off, and uh, we're going to get going. We'll see you all next Thursday. Yeah, no, uh, guys, thanks for, join- uh, thanks for joining, listening in today. It was a great, great show. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday, of course. Uh, be sure to tune in the World Series because be- by next Thursday, we could already have a World Series winner. Uh, but, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, and I'll just end on this one. Who would win in a fight, a tiger or a wildcat? I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you think about that one. But hey, uh, we'll see you guys <laughs> around.